Hello, my friends. This is Nikki. Thank you for joining me for episode 50 of Learning About the Lord. Today we will see how Jesus shows his apostles how he himself prepared for his mission. So he has taken them back to the mountain where he fasted and to the rock where he was tempted. We will be reading from Maria Valtorta's Poem of the Man-God, Volume 1. It is a most beautiful dawn in the wilderness, seen from the height of a mountainside. It is daybreak. A few stars are still visible. The mountain is completely isolated. Below there is an even more barren field, a flat, stony ground that becomes more arid as it stretches out. Here, says Jesus, we are at the place I wanted. This is the place to which I wanted to bring you. Here Christ prepared for his mission. But there is nothing here, says Judas Iscariot. You are quite right, there is nothing, says Jesus. With whom were you? asks the Iscariot. And Jesus answers, with my soul and with the Father. Ah, says Judas, you stayed only for a few hours. No, Judas, says the Lord, not a few hours, many days. Remember, Jesus was there for forty days and nights. But who served you? asks Judas Iscariot. Where did you sleep? And the Lord answers, My servants were the wild asses that came to sleep in the caves where I had also taken shelter. My maidservants were the eagles. My friends were the little hares that came up almost to my feet. My food and my drink were the same food and drink of the wild flower, the night dew and the sunshine, nothing else. But why? asks the Iscariot. And Jesus answers, To prepare well for my mission. Things well prepared for are successful. You said so yourself, and my thing was not a trifle, a useless thing, which would glorify me, a servant of the Lord. But it was to make men understand what the Lord is, and by means of such understanding make him loved in the spirit of truth. The servant that is concerned with his own triumph, and not with the Lord's, is a miserable man. The servant who is anxious to make a profit, who dreams he will sit on a high throne built on the interests of God, which have been lowered down to the earth, whereas they are celestial interests, is also a miserable servant. He is no longer a servant. He is a merchant, a trafficker, a deceitful person, who deceives himself and men, and would like to deceive also God. He is a wretched man who believes he is a prince whilst he is a slave. He belongs to the evil one, his king of falsehood. Here, in this cave, Christ for many days lived, fasting and praying to get ready for his mission. And where would you have suggested I should have gone to prepare, Judas? The Lord asks the Iscariot. Judas is puzzled and bewildered. Eventually, he replies, I would not know. I was thinking to a rabbi or with the Essenes. I don't know. 
and was it possible for me to find a rabbi who would tell me more than the power and wisdom of God were telling me? asks the Lord. And could I, I, the eternal word of the Father, who was present when the Father created man, and am aware of the immortal soul by which he is animated, and of the power of free, capable judgment with which he was endowed by the Creator, would I have gone to derive science and skill from those who deny the immortality of souls, the final resurrection, and also the freedom of men to act? Attributing virtues and vices holy and wicked deeds to a destiny which they say is fated and uncontrollable certainly not you have a destiny in the mind of god who creates you there is a destiny for you it is the wish of the father and it is a destiny of love of peace of glory the holiness of being his children that is the destiny that was present in the divine mind when Adam was fashioned with dust and will be present until the creation of the last soul of man. But the Father does not denigrate you in your position of kings. If a king is a prisoner, he is no longer a king, he is an outcast. You are kings because you are free in your small individual kingdoms, in your egos. You can do what you like and how you like. Before you and on the boundaries of your small kingdom, you have a friendly king and two enemy powers. The friend shows you the rules that he gives to make his followers happy. He shows them and says, here they are. With them, your eternal victory is certain. He, the wise and holy one, shows them to you so that you may put them into practice if you want to and thus receive eternal glory. So let's just stop here for a moment and look at what Jesus is saying. He is saying that God gave us the laws that we need in which to live a holy life. He has shown us what we must do, and it is up to us. It is our own choice that we put it into practice. So what are the holy laws of God? Well, we begin with the Ten Commandments. God gave us the Ten Commandments. What are the Ten Commandments? The first commandment says, I am the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not have any strange gods before me. So it is the commandment to love and honor God. First, above all, above all other things. The second commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Here we are asked by God to honor him, not to abuse him and his name. The third commandment, remember to keep holy the Sabbath day. He's saying, take Sunday and treat it as the Lord's day to honor God. The fourth commandment, honor thy father and thy mother, such that children must obey their parents, learning to grow up, in the holy laws of the Lord. Commandment number five, thou shalt not kill. Commandment number six, thou shalt not commit adultery. Commandment number seven, thou shalt not steal. Commandment number eight, thou shalt not bear false witness 
against thy neighbor. Commandment number nine, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's wife. And commandment number ten, thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's goods. So Jesus is teaching us that by following the Ten Commandments, we are following the ways of the Lord. The commandments are covering the seven deadly sins, the things we must never, never do. The first one is pride, greed, wrath, lust, sloth, envy, and gluttony. He also teaches us that we have free will to choose the way that we want to live our lives, the life of virtue and godliness or the life of sin. And one more rule that I wanted to mention that Jesus will teach us in time to come is the golden rule, to do unto others as you would have others do unto you. Treat other people the way you would like to be treated, with respect, with kindness, with patience, with the benefit of the doubt. And the Lord also says, Worship the Lord thy God before all, and love thy neighbor as thyself. The commandments are very simple. What we call into question is our ability to follow them. And that is where God says, you have a choice. And we have a choice every day to follow or not to follow the commandments in whatever situation we find ourselves in. Now I'll continue reading. The Lord says, The two enemy powers are Satan and the flesh. By flesh I mean your flesh and the world. They are the pomps and enticements of the world, that is, the riches, the feasts, the honors and powers which are obtained from the world and in the world, but are not always obtained honestly, and they are used even less honestly when eventually a man reaches them. Satan is the master of the flesh and of the world. Satan speaks also on behalf of the world and of the flesh. He too has his rules. Oh, he certainly has. And as your ego is enveloped in the flesh, and the flesh is attracted by the flesh, as metal chips are attracted by a magnet, it is easier to follow those rules, Satan's rules, and incline towards those powers and say to them, I consider you my friends. Come in. Come in. We invite sin into our lives. Jesus says, Have you ever seen an ally who remains honest forever without asking a hundredfold return for the help he has given? That is what those powers do. They go in. And they become the masters. Masters? No, galley sergeants. They tie you to the galley bench, fasten you with chains. They do not allow you to raise your head from their yoke. They lash you, and their lash leaves bleeding marks on your backs if you attempt to escape. You either must bear to be torn to pieces and become a heap of shattered flesh, so useless as flesh, as to be rejected and kicked aside by their cruel feet, or you must die under their blows. So here the Lord is saying that we invite sin into our lives, and then sin becomes our master. Why? Because the devil demands your soul. And during this time of our life, when we live in such sin, 
our sins mark us and we become marked by God by the sins of a sinful life. He says you can break away. You must break away. But if you don't, you will live and die under the rule of Satan. Now Jesus continues and he says, If you can bear that martyrdom by recognizing sin, praying for forgiveness, repent and do penance, then mercy will come. The only one who can still have mercy on that revolting misery which the world, one of the masters, now loathes and at which the other master, Satan, throws the arrows of his revenge. And mercy, the only one, and here when he speaks only one, he's referring to God. When mercy, when God, passes by, bends down, picks it up, picks up your soul, doctors it, cures it and says, come, do not be afraid. Do not look at yourself. Your wounds are but scars, but they are so numerous that you would be horrified as they disfigure you. So he's saying your sins, now that you've repented and have been healed, they're just scars. But don't look at your sins. They're too much. They'll overwhelm you. They'll horrify you. Jesus says, I do not look at them. I look at your good will. Because of your good will, you are now marked by God. Therefore I say to you, I love you. Come with me. And God takes your soul to his country. You then understand that God and the friendly king are the same person. Mercy and the king are the same person. You find the rules that he has shown to you and you did not want to follow. Now you want them, and first you reach the peace of your conscience, then the peace of God. Tell me now, says Jesus, was that destiny imposed by God on everybody, or did each person choose it for himself? It was chosen by each person, says Simon. You are right, Simon. Was it possible for me to go to those who deny the blessed resurrection and the gift of God to be taught? I came here to the mountain top in the desert. I took my soul of the Son of Man and I gave it its finishing touches and I thus finished the work of thirty years of humility and preparation in order to be perfect when starting my mission. Now I ask you to stay with me for a few days in this cave. Our stay will be less depressing because we shall be four friends joining in our efforts against sadness, fears, temptation, and the desires of the flesh. I was by myself. It will be less painful because it is now summer up here. The mountain winds lessen the heat. I came here at the end of the Tebeth moon, and the wind blowing down from the snowy tops was harsh. It will be less trying because it will be shorter, and also because we have the necessary food to satisfy our hunger. I must snatch two souls from Satan. It can only be done by penance. I ask you to help me. It will be a training for you. You will learn how to snatch victims from the devil, not so much with words as with sacrifice. Words the satanic uproar prevents one from hearing them, 
Every soul which is a prey of the enemy is enveloped in an eddy of infernal voices. Do you want to stay with me? If you do not want to, you may go. So here the Lord is offering them free choice. He asks them, Will you stay with me a few days to pray and do penance in order to try to rescue two souls? And who is with him? John, Simon Zelot, Judas Iscariot. And John says, No, Master, I will not leave you. While Simon at the same time exclaims, you extol us by wanting us to be with you in this redemption. But Judas Iscariot does not appear to be terribly enthusiastic. But he puts a good face on, destiny. And he says, I will stay. Now we're going to continue on after the apostles have stayed on the mountaintop in the desert with the Lord, fasting and doing penance for four days. Four days are over now. And Jesus is sitting with the three apostles, and he's speaking to them. And he says, Yes, our stay is over. The last time it lasted forty days, and I would repeat that it was still winter up here, and I had no food. A little more difficult than this time, was it not? I know that you have suffered even now. The little food we had and I gave you was nothing, particularly for hungry young people. It was barely sufficient to prevent you from collapsing, and the water even less so. The heat is intense during the day, and you will say that it was not so hot in winter. But then there was a dry wind blowing from that mountaintop, and it parched my lungs. I know what my return journey was like, exhausted as I was in the desert solitude. Let us pick up our things and go. Remember this place. Remember how Christ prepared, and how the apostles prepare. Let the apostles prepare as I teach them. They go out and they walk for hours and hours. The plain is more and more barren and depressing. They come upon a rock, and Jesus says, Take this, eat and drink, sitting here near me, while I tell you something that you will repeat to your friends and to the world. Listen, once a man asked me whether I had ever been tempted. Now Jesus is referring to Judas Iscariot. Jesus says, This man asked me whether I had ever committed sin, and whether when tempted I had ever given in. And he was surprised because in order to resist temptation, I, the Messiah, had asked the Father for help, saying, Father, lead me not into temptation. Jesus speaks slowly and calmly, as if he were relating an event with which none of them was acquainted. But Judas Iscariot lowers his head as if he were embarrassed. Jesus goes on, Now, my friends, you will learn something of which that man had only a faint idea. After my baptism, I came here. I was clean, but one is never clean enough with regard to God. And the humility in saying, I am a man and a sinner, is already a baptism which makes the heart clean. So I just want to note here, by saying, I am a sinner, you are making a confession directly to God. You cannot heal your sins till you first acknowledge them. 
So Jesus is using this as an example. He says, you must admit your sin. You must say with humility, I am a man and a sinner. And that is the beginning of cleaning your heart. Jesus continues and he says, I had been called the Lamb of God by the Holy Prophet, that's John the Baptist, who saw the truth and saw the Spirit descend upon the Word and anoint him with its chrism of love, while the voice of the Father filled the heavens, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You, John, were present when the Baptist repeated these words. After being baptized, although I was clean both by my nature and by appearance, I wanted to prepare. Yes, Judas Iscariot, look at me. May my eyes tell you what my mouth does not yet speak. Look at me, Judas, look at your master, who, although was the Messiah, did not consider himself superior to man. On the contrary, knowing he was the man, he wanted to be so in everything except in yielding to evil. Exactly so. Jesus continues, If one wants to prepare to be a teacher, one must have been a pupil. I, as God, knew everything. My intelligence enabled me to understand also the struggles of man, both by intellectual power and in an intellectual way, that is, without any practical experience. But then some poor friend of mine, some poor son of mine, could have said to me, You do not know what it is to be a man and have senses and passions. And it would have been a fair reproach. I came here, or rather on that mountain, to prepare, not only for my mission, but also for temptation. See, I was tempted where you are sitting now. By whom? By a mortal being? No, his power would have been too limited. I was tempted by Satan himself. I was exhausted. I had not eaten for forty days. But while I was engrossed in prayer, everything had been forgotten in the joy of speaking to God. Rather than forgotten, it had been made endurable. I felt it as a discomfort of a material nature, confined to matter only. I then came back to the world. I was back in the ways of the world, and I felt the needs of those who are in the world. I was hungry. I was thirsty. I felt the biting cold of the desert night. My body was worn out with lack of rest, of a bed, and with a long journey made in such a state of weariness that I could go no further, because I am made of flesh, too. My dear friends, real flesh, and my flesh is subject to the weakness common to all the flesh, and with my flesh I have a heart. Yes, I took the first and second of the three parts that form man. I took the physical part with all its needs and the morals with their passions, and whilst with my will I subdued all the bad passions at birth. I let the holy passions grow like mighty age-old cedars, that is, filial love, love for the fatherland, friendship, work, everything that is best and holy, 
and here I felt nostalgia for my far-away mother. Here I felt the need of her care for my human frailty. Here I felt once again the pain of parting from the only one who loved me with perfect love. Here I realized what sorrow is laid aside for me, and I was grieved at her sorrows, poor mother, who will have to shed so many tears for her son because of the wickedness of men, that she will be left tearless. And here I experienced the weariness of the hero and of the ascetic who, in an hour of forewarning, realize the uselessness of their efforts. I cried. Sadness is a lure for Satan. It is not a sin to be sad in painful circumstances, but it is a sin to go beyond sadness and fall into inertness and despair. Satan comes at once when he sees anyone in spiritual languor. He came, dressed as a kind traveler. He always takes a kind appearance. I was hungry and thirty years old. He offered to help me. First he said to me, Tell these stones to become bread. But before, yes, even before he spoke to me about a woman. Oh, he knows how to speak of her. He knows her very well. He corrupted her first to make her his ally in corruption. I am not only the Son of God, I am Jesus, the workman of Nazareth. I said to that man who was speaking to me then, and here he's talking about Judas Iscariot, the one who asked me whether I had experienced temptations and almost accused me for being unjustly blessed because I had not sinned. The act subsides when satisfied. A rejected temptation does not fade away, but becomes stronger also because Satan instigates it. I resisted the temptation both of lust of woman and hunger for bread, and you must know that Satan proposed woman to me as the best ally to succeed in the world. And he was quite right, from a human point of view. The devil did not give up because of my remark. I had said, man does not live on his senses alone. And the devil spoke to me of my mission. He wanted to seduce the Messiah after failing with the young man that I am. And he incited me to crush the unworthy ministers of the temple with a miracle. A miracle! The fire of heaven is not to be bent to form a wreath to crown ourselves. And we must not put God to the test, asking for miracles for human purposes. That is what Satan wanted. The reason mentioned by him was an excuse. The truth was to boast of being the Messiah. And he wanted to lead me to another lust, the lust for pride. Satan was not daunted by my reply. He said, when I said, you must not put the Lord your God to the test, and he circumvented me with the third power of his nature, gold. Oh, gold. Bread is a great thing, and woman an even greater one for those longing for food or pleasure. To be acclaimed by the crowds is a very great thing for man. 
how many crimes are committed for these three things. But gold is the beginning and end of ninety-nine of human actions. For bread and a woman, man becomes a thief. For power, he becomes also a murderer. But for gold, he becomes an idolater. The king of gold, Satan, offered me his gold if I adored him. But I pierced him with the eternal words, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. It happened here. So Jesus is talking about the temptations. Woman, bread, power, gold. Gold, he says, is the worst. It becomes an idolation. It becomes a substitute God. And he rebuked the devil in all of his temptations and put him in his place. And the devil disappeared. Jesus is now standing. He seems taller than usual in the flat nature surrounding him, in the slightly phosphorescent light of the stars. Also, the disciples get up. Jesus goes on speaking, staring intently at Judas Iscariot. He says, Then the angels of the Lord came. The man, who is I, had won the treble battle. I knew what it meant to be a man, and had won. I was exhausted. The struggle had been more exhausting than the long fast. But the spirit was triumphant. I think that heaven was startled at my becoming a perfect creature, endowed with knowledge. I think that from that moment I got the power of working miracles. I was God. I had become the man now, by defeating the animal nature connected with man's nature, I was the man-god, and I am. And as God, I am omnipotent. And as the man-god, I am omniscient. Do as I did, if you want to do what I do, and do it in memory of me. That man, meaning Judas Iscariot, was amazed at my asking the Father's help and at my praying not to be led into temptation, that is, not to be left at the mercy of temptation beyond my strength. I think that that man, meaning Judas Iscariot, will no longer be amazed now that he knows. I ask you to do the same in my memory and to win as I did and never doubt my nature of true man and true God, seeing how strong I was in all the temptations of life, and how I won the battles of the five senses of sensuality and of sentiments. Remember all that. I promised to take you where it would be possible for you to know the Master. From the dawn of his day, that's when Jesus took them to Bethlehem, to the noontide, that's when Jesus brought them to meet Mary at Nazareth. To my human evening. That's where Jesus brought them to fast on the mountain in the desert. I said to one of you, I also prepared. You now see it is true. I thank you for your company in the return to the place of my birth and the place of my penance. 
My first contacts with the world had sickened and depressed me. It is too ugly. My soul has now been nourished with the union with the Father in prayer and solitude, and I can go back to the world and take my cross upon me once again, the first cross of the Redeemer, the cross of the contact with the world, with the world in which there are too few souls called Mary called John. So here Jesus is saying how painful it is for him to live in the world, because the world is ruled by Satan. There is too much ugliness, too much evil. It's, it weighs very heavily on him. It is his first cross. He talks about how he lived for 30 years a humble life, a pure life, and when he was ready to begin his mission, he left his home, he left his mother Mary, he went to John the Baptist, he became baptized in the Jordan, he was recognized by God the Father, and then he went into the desert onto a, a mountain peak, and he prayed for 40 days and 40 nights to prepare himself and strengthen himself for the next three years to come the three years of his public life. And when he left there, he was tempted by the devil. The devil came and tempted him to try to get Jesus to use his powers. And this was so that the devil could try to control Jesus and have Jesus worship the devil. And Jesus rebuked him and stayed pure to his purpose and became even stronger through his prayers to God the Father, who strengthened him and helped him. Jesus shows us what to do, how to do it, and what the effects are of what we choose to do. So for each of us, when you feel weak, vulnerable, tempted, alone, isolated, frail, sad, turn to Jesus, turn to God, turn to what he asks us to do, he gives us the recipe, follow the recipe, follow the commandments, follow the golden rule, follow love and mercy and light and kindness and be good to yourself. Good, not indulgent, not self-indulgent. Good to yourself, feed yourself the virtues of the Lord. I ask the Lord to bless you all. Go with God.